0: Hey, this is Pastor Brad at Garden City Church. I just wanted to say thank you for coming into this space and listening to our podcast. You know, our desire as a church is that we would learn how to love and lead like Jesus because we believe that he knows how to love people best and how to lead people best. If you'd like to know more information about who we are as a church, you can visit GardenCityBMT.com. God bless and have a great day. Man, well, with Christmas approaching, I am very aware of how many days we have because my kids keep asking Siri every morning how many days until Christmas. And so we are 27 days away from Christmas, in case you were wondering. And so with Christmas approaching comes the chaos of Christmas. I'm not sure if you hit up any Black Friday deals. Apparently, Black Friday turned into um, all week of Thanksgiving Friday deals, whether you got towels or a new TV. Um, all the festivities of all the lights that are going up. They're being hung on the houses. You're picking out the right Christmas tree if you still pick out a real one or if you get the fake one like the rest of the world and just make it easier on us. And uh, you're making sure that your wish list is up to date, uh, no matter how old you are. And uh, for your parents... They're trying to figure out exactly what you want to make sure it's in stock so that they can order it now. And as if you weren't stressed enough to plan, prepare, and prioritize your life outside of like the Christmas chaos, if you will, Uh, we're coming into a season where you might join a family you haven't seen for a few years, or it's been a hot minute since you've gathered with others. But obviously, within this season, we recognize the busyness of our schedules. And so for you, the busy parent, You're wrapping gifts. You're ordering the gifts, hoping they come on time. You're planning with other family members what side dish you're supposed to take to the family Christmas thing that you're getting together with. And don't forget to buy the spare batteries, by the way. For some reason, all those toys that are battery-powered don't come with batteries. Not sure why. It doesn't make sense. And so those are the things that, as the busy parent, you are doing for the busy couple, maybe this is your first Christmas married, engaged or dating, um, for that busy couple, they now have to talk about all the different things pertaining to marriage, being asked by different family members on both sides, when you plan on having kids, you're having to go to seven different family traditions I remember when when Lindsay and I first started dating and when we got married, we were going to three separate Christmas Eves and like four different Christmas Day things, and I was like, no, like enough is enough, and her mom's like, but it's our family tradition, and my mom's like, but it's our family tradition, and I was like, at some point in your lifetime, you had to cut ties with your family, and you had to create your own family traditions, and so that's what we've had to do. It took about eight years, but we're getting there, and so as the busy couple, you understand the different dynamics of the the family traditions that are at play. To the busy grandparent, you are the ultimate gift giver, by the way. But if you have multiple grandchildren, you have to get the same amount of things for each. Even as they get older, they get smarter, and they begin to identify what someone else got and what they got, and they start to compare. Like, wait, why did you get that person this, but you got me that? I know the price of that, and I know the price of that, and that is more than that. And of course, you know, we continue to get the, uh, the different Christmas catalogs that come through. We got an Amazon one, we got a Target one, we got a Best Buy one. And each time they come through, my girls say, look, we got a new Christmas comic. And so they get to look through it, and these other companies have gotten smarter because they start putting stickers in the book so that the kids can identify what it is that they're wanting for Christmas. And so for you, the busy individual... Maybe this is a Christmas unlike any that you've had before. Whether family has moved away, whether you have moved away, maybe there's a loved one that is no longer here with you that was here last year. Christmas for you has a whole different meaning attached to it. And so we recognize that God sees you, that he loves you. And my genuine hope and prayer for you is that you find family within the community of believers. And for you, the child, the kids who are in the room this morning, the days of December can probably seem like the longest to you because it feels like it is only during this time of the year that time seems to stand still apart from your birthday as, you, as it starts to roll around and you count down those days because the days of December seem like the longest as you count them down. You've heard the phrase, a watched pot never boils. And the same can be true for kids when it comes to Christmas, that a countdown calendar can actually be a negative thing. And so it's no wonder that kids, in particular, can identify with C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. If you've read the books, if you've seen the movie, it is a land that is described where it is always winter, but never Christmas. They don't have to feel that idea. They just have to wait for December to feel the winter and to know that Christmas is coming, but it feels like it's an eternity away still. And so our kids today, when we were kids, are the, are, they're not the first ones to feel this way about Christmas. They're not the first ones to feel that approaching and not being able to see it. And yet at the same time, when we think of Jesus and his coming to the earth, you can imagine how these generations felt in the Old Testament when they're passing down this information from one generation to the next. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah will be here soon. It kind of feels like what we are today when we continue to talk about being in the last days. We are in the last days and God is coming soon and Jesus is coming back again. And we don't disagree with those things. In fact, we embrace them and we hold to that truth. But we also know that maybe the page that we are waiting for is like the page in between the Old Testament where Malachi ends and the New Testament where Matthew begins, a blank page that is ultimately a representation of 400 years of silence. And so it's in that place where we discover that there is this idea of knowing that Jesus is coming back again and we understand that and we feel it and we embrace it, we can also see that that is how these generations in the Old Testament felt about this as well. There's a great Christmas hymn that sings these words, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. And so in that hymn, essentially, there's this idea that is at play that is wondering, was Jesus late to the world? Was Jesus late when he came to the earth? That page that represents the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew was Jesus late to his own party? Most of us can identify with this idea of being late, whether your children were born after their due date and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you're like, okay, time is up, right? Like I know Gabriel's wife Bree is feeling that way. She's a few weeks from her due date and she is like, now is the time. The baby's gotta come out now. And I'm like, I, 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 I get that. I understand that to a certain extent. Moms, I'm not trying to say that like, I get what you're feeling or whatever, but I get the uh, anticipation and they're like, come on, come on, come on. All that to say, we understand this idea of late. If you're someone who is always late, whether for school, late to wake up, late to meetings, late to work, anyone stressed out yet? Am I describing your day? Am I describing your week? Late to school, late to work, late to wake up, late, late, late. I hate being late. I really do. But I find myself, nevertheless, late all the time. And you know the... A very generic excuse is, Oh, I hit some traffic. I'm going to be a little late. And it's like, well, bro, you were already late. It's already 905. You were supposed to be here at nine and you're telling me you hit some traffic now, which means to tell me you were never going to make it on time anyway. I can, I can live with that. Unless, of course, you live currently 40 minutes away from the church, then yes, sometimes traffic does actually happen. But when you live five minutes from the church, there is no excuse. And so we live in this season of waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for the packages to arrive. We're waiting for the cargo ships to not be in Newport Beach anymore, but to be in Long Beach. We're waiting for the return of Christ. We're waiting for this. We're waiting for that. We're waiting, waiting, waiting. This is all what we have going on for us and so, even for my wife and I, you know, we're waiting on our house. We were told originally the first date we should have already been in our house two weeks ago. And then, of course, we get the email, the dreaded one. It's not going to be ready until December 8th. Oh, okay. Like, we can wait. It's not going to be ready until December 14th. Oh, okay. It's like, you better get me in that house before Christmas. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my mind. And so, I'm just being honest with you, being upfront about what's happening. There is a waiting game in life. Isn't that what it is? And so, the question is was Jesus late? Ultimately, and the quickest answer is no, but since we've read Genesis 3.15, we know what this event is. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. You see, God's people had been hoping for his coming ever since they read this and heard about this, and I can imagine that it seemed like a long time, which is why we get so often from the believers of the Old Testament who often cried, how long, O Lord? That's, in fact, our sermon title for today, how long, O Lord? Because how many times have we ourselves cried those same words? Whether a sickness has derailed a life or a disease that has made the future seem bleak. Whatever those instances is, we have heard, how long, oh Lord? How long is this going to take? How long will I be in this season? And so we would wonder, would it always be winter, but never the long-promised Christmas? My hope and prayer through this series that we'll be in for the next few weeks will help us give a better perspective, much broader than just during this holiday season because our hope and our prayer as a church is that this season would just be a reflection of the time we have already spent thinking on the incarnation of Christ. I think we downplay sometimes the reality of what the incarnation of Christ actually means, that God himself in Christ came to this earth for a reason. And so our prayer is that this season in our lives and of these holidays would just cause us to reflect on the things that we've been thankful for and how to make Jesus central in our life for the other 334 days of the year. And so this idea of Advent is what we're going to be looking through. Maybe this is new to you, maybe it's not new to you. There are many different Advent books, which are usually Advent devotionals. It gives you one day out of each or one day a month, one day, how am I saying I'm saying that wrong. Every day of the month, thank you, appreciate that, every day of the month there is a devotional that you can read that will give you a perspective of what is leading up to the Christmas story, which is ultimately the birth of Christ. And so it can take you from the beginning all the way in Genesis and take you through until you hit the Gospels. There are other Advent books that give you uh, an idea of who Jesus is and it's kind of more theological than it is devotional, but there are plenty of options out there if you search for them. And so this word Advent comes to us from the Latin word Adventus, which is where we get our English word for coming from. And so it's this idea of knowing and expecting and believing and knowing that something is going to take place, but it hasn't taken place yet. And so the purpose of this season is for us to look towards the coming of Christ to earth, and it is a season that is focused on waiting. It is a season that causes us to become comfortable with the idea of waiting without becoming impatient. Even as early as the 4th century AD, Christians fasted during this season and ended their fast with celebrations either of the arrival of the wise men, or of the baptism of Jesus. And for many Christians today, the most familiar sign of Advent is the lighting of candles. Typically, and historically, you have two purple candles followed by a pink one, and then another purple on each of the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. And so as we use this idea of Advent to bring up a few things, there are two particular things about Advent that will help us this season. Number one, Advent is a time of embracing the past. Embracing the past and knowing and believing that there's something to behold about what has already happened, ultimately the birth of Christ. But then Advent is also a time of expecting the future. It's knowing and expecting that there is something else happening in real time and yet also in the future. And so that is ultimately what Advent does for us. It takes us back to the birth of Christ in that feeding trough, but it also allows us to expect what is coming for our future in the second coming of Jesus himself. And so as we look at the first coming of Christ, when that baby was laid in a manger, because there was no room in the inn, it is also time for us to look to the future, the promised second coming of Christ. What Advent does for us is it prepares us to more fully reflect on Jesus as it awakens our hope of the King Jesus who will be coming back for his people. And so for us as a church during this Advent season, what we're gonna do on social media and through some of our email blasts and different things like that is we're gonna give you an option to follow our Advent devotional that we're taking from and use it as your own. So if you follow us on social media, this will be a very easy thing for you to do as we continue to post, and we'll post a verse each day with a short little devotional, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier about uh, another announcement. It's not that big, but we have we started a little blog on our website that has different articles that we're gonna start posting that are uh, theological in nature, very practical in nature, devotional in nature, book recommendations on different things, stuff like that. And so we want you to become aware of that so you know that you can follow that blog throughout this season as you see these short little devotionals that we'll post every single day so you can have something to talk about, whether it's at family dinner time. That's what I grew up doing. My my parents would do a family devotional with us every night at dinner. Um, Whether you do that together on just the weekends or something of that nature, this is an Advent devotional that we're kind of just handing off to you to give to you to think through this Advent season. And so as we think more meaningful about this devotional time that we have, it is an encouragement to us that it is an opportunity to grow deeper and into a more meaningful relationship to Jesus. And even though God may seem slow, He is always on time. He has never been late. But if you read through the Bible from the beginning, there is something thrilling about turning over the blank page between that Old Testament and New Testament page. The first thing you encounter on the other side of that blank page is Matthew's summation of the long years of waiting. You have this genealogy of, of different people in the lineage of David that ultimately brings us to how Jesus is connected to King David in that genealogy. And so now we are seeing that the snow is melting and winter is finally giving way to Christmas. It is the arrival of the Lord Jesus that is bringing in the dawn of a glorious new era, as Sinclair Ferguson puts it. And so imagine 400 years without any recorded word of God. No voice. No profit, nothing. Waiting becomes a lot harder in that moment, doesn't it? You can wait when you know the wait time. It's harder when you don't know what's going on without a wait time. So imagine the agony of waiting and the struggle to keep faith in the promises that were given long ago. You can almost hear the questions being passed down from one generation to the next. Has God failed us? Has God vanished? Was he ever really there With us? Was faith in God just a waste of my time? These are even some of the questions that we might face on a daily basis as well. But suddenly, not early, not late, but right on time, Bethlehem's fields light up like the day as the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men whom his favor rests. And so the wait was over and the silence was broken. Christmas is this story of a longing fulfilled. That's why it gives us reason to celebrate the goodness and the nearness of God in the midst of a waiting season. Because ultimately we have to ask ourselves this question: what does Jesus want this Christmas? I know that's a loaded question, but it's a necessary one. Because we've been we've all been asked this particular question around the Christmas season because it's the giving of gifts, but John 17 gives us what Jesus ultimately wants for us. John 17, 24 says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. So we must become thankful that God has drawn me, that God has drawn you to himself so that you may be where he is. In fact, this was the promise given to Jesus's disciples when he told them in John 14, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be with me where I am. But this promise is not just looking towards the future, this is something we can experience also today. Maybe you've heard preachers say that God created man because he was lonely. I've heard that used a few times before. So they say that God created man so that we would be with him. And is that true? Does God agree with this? I think ultimately, yes, he does. Does he want us to be with him? Of course, but why? If we go back to John 17, it says, then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. So Jesus is not expressing his loneliness. He is actually giving to us what we have been longing for this whole time. And so he's not saying that I am lonely, therefore I'm going to create these people. Imagine a friendship, or even imagine your marriage, for those of you married this morning. You can imagine for yourself that if it were about your loneliness, you would be talking about having someone by your side at all times so that they can experience your glory and so that I won't be lonely anymore. That in and of itself ends up becoming a selfish reason that doesn't work obviously within the confinements of marriage because marriage was never made to fulfill your needs. It was so that you could be with someone else so that you would obviously bring glory to to God, but that you would also find a companionship in bringing two people together what God has done. And so God's expression of bringing us into the family of God as John one says, as children of light, it is for our longing and not for his loneliness. You see, God is not sustained by our presence. He does not need our presence to thrive. He simply out of his own love to us, desires us to be with him because he knows our greatest need and he is the one who is able to meet it. First John four 10 says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So Jesus is not lonely. If you remember correctly, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the thing that is the most difficult thing to grasp and to understand possibly in our doctrine and theology, yet they are satisfied in their fellowship of each other. And so as humans with finite, carnal beings as we are. We are starving for something, and what Jesus wants for Christmas is for us to experience what we were truly made for, which is seeing and savoring his glory. We want to see his glory, no doubt. I think that that is something that we could all agree on this morning. We want to see the glory of God. Just like Moses, he said, show me your glory, and it was in that moment that God walked by, but he said, Moses, you must hide behind a rock, Because if you see the fullness of my glory, you will die. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't want to see your glory. Maybe that's a little weird and I don't understand it, but no doubt, Moses, hiding behind this rock, sees God walk by, but only as he is already in the near future. As he walks by and he is further off away, Moses sees the glory of the Lord, and it is from just that glimpse that Moses' face starts to shine, and it was there that he got to experience the glory of God. And so we no doubt desire the same thing, but what we usually do is that we give glory where glory is not meant to be given. We give glory in other places, which is why Jesus was so emphatic when he said that you are the light of the world and let your light shine before men that they may see your good works they give glory to God in heaven because ultimately we realize and recognize in those moments how much we are willing to receive the credit. Wow, that was a great message! Wow, that was a really good prayer! Wow, that was you are really gifted. And it's very easy if that is a moment for us to let our light shine to be like, Oh, yes, like thank you, like yeah, killed it nailed it. Like, Of course, those are the things that can easily come to our minds. And so it is in the glory of God that we must place all of that glory because he is only deserving of it. Nowhere and nothing else can handle the glory given. And so what it is when we recognize in this season that sometimes we think peace is what we're looking for. Peace is what we desire to have. Don't we want peace? Don't we want world peace? Doesn't the the teen Miss Teen Pageant USA thing or whatever, you know, when they're asked the question, what do you want most in life? I want world peace. It's like, that's just kind of the given answer that they're supposed to say because it's the thing that feels good and that everyone is longing for. And sometimes we don't always know where it comes from. And so sometimes we think that peace comes not from the absence of trouble, Or rather, we think that sometimes peace can come from the absence of trouble, but what we know is that peace does not come from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. And so we also desire not just to see the glory of God as Moses saw it, but also to savor in the glory of God. You see, when you savor something, you you sense it, you feel it, you embrace it. When you savor food... We all experienced that this last week when we put on our gluttonous pants and you know got all stretchy and whatnot, like we put all that food on our plates, and how many of us just devoured it and didn't realize that we were already done with it where i i don't like to mix all my food together, some people like to do that if that's you, great, praise God like all like that's great, cool, you do that. But we were talking to one of my, uh, one of my family members and we were saying, like, do you remember those lunch plates where they used to have like, all the compartments? like You could put all the things, Like, I want a plate like that. where you can just compartmentalize everything so that you don't have to worry about anything else. But sometimes we devour food so quickly that we can't even taste it. We're just so hungry and we don't know what to do with it. So we just kind of, we just feed ourselves as fast as we can. And then we're like, oh, I got a tummy ache. That's what my kids deal with every single day. I'm hungry every five minutes. I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? Like they don't want to savor it. They just want to fill themselves, whether it's out of boredom or whether it's out of just growing that much. Savoring something means that you're taking time that you're enjoying it, that you're noticing and breaking down some of the things inside that recipe that you didn't recognize were there. And so when we relish in the presence of God, when we delight in it, when we treasure the presence of God, in John seventeen twenty six, he says, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. That is ultimately how we savor the presence of God, is recognizing that God has already revealed himself through Jesus and that he will continue to reveal himself through Jesus. And then the love of God will be in them and God will be with them. So, what Jesus wants most for us this Christmas and each Christmas from here until eternity is that his children, those who are practicing following Jesus, be gathered in the church together. And get what they want most. But what you want may not even be on your wish list because the thing we want most, and yet we see ourselves short of by making other versions of it, is to see and savor the glory of God. And what God desires simultaneously is for people to begin following Jesus so that they might be saved. What I want for us this Christmas as a church is to join together in seeing Christ in all his fullness and that we might be able to love others with a love far beyond our own human capacity. Ephesians 3.19 says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God, so it 's not only that we directly get this fullness from God, but that the fullness we, we receive is God this isn 't just a gift from God; God is the gift in marriage. My wife does not give me anything; she gives me of her she gives of herself as do I, as do you to your spouse. You are not saying, "Well, here is your marriage, and I hope you enjoy it, but i 'm going to go and do this thing over here that is not what it means when you give yourself over in marriage as you are to leave and cleave so it is spiritually when we think about our relationship to Christ because he has fully given of himself we must be willing to fully give of ourselves in return Colossians 1:19 says for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ And so it's this fullness that's talked about here. It is a way for God to completely reveal himself to us through his son, Jesus. It is like a ship. If you have a ship and it's just sitting in the dock, what good does it do? It's not a full ship. It's just a ship. But if you have a ship that is manned, it has sailors, it has rowers, it has soldiers, it is full, it is complete, it is ready for whatever may come its way. It's a sense of completeness. And it's this completeness of God that is described in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, which say, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, we read, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so that is the very story of Christmas, that this little baby Jesus was born in a manger, born of a virgin woman, and in the most humble way entered this world. And so as we struggle with our own sense of silence at times, and as we strain to see God and to savor God, in our convoluted lives, Christmas urges us on by reminding us that God will come through on his promise. And so our prayer should be that in this Advent season, we would be encouraged to keep on keeping on. That we would not lose heart, that we would not lose sight of what God is trying to do in our lives, that our faith would be fortified and our devotion would find its delight in God. So, as we embrace this season and wake up each morning in the faithfulness of God, we can pray that the Holy Spirit would help us recenter our thoughts and our confidence in God. So, not only is this a season for us to wait, like God is literally calling us to just wait, to just sit. To wonder in silence at the beauty and the awe of who God is. But he is also calling people to himself as he uses Christmas as that medium by which people can be saved. It is an opportunity, as C.S. Lewis puts it, that the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. It is an opportunity like, like no other in that. Most people during this time are open and receptive to hearing what it means to practice the way of Jesus. It is ultimately our desire as we practice following Jesus that others would then see what our practice looks like. And they would, as Paul told his followers, to imitate me as I imitate Christ. It is a waiting game. And so this Christmas has an opportunity for us to recenter our structure on what he is calling us to and who he is calling us to be. And in so doing that, he will reveal himself to others around us in due time. As he draws people to himself, we have an opportunity to be that light of the world during this season. And so as we wrap up our service this morning as we prepare our hearts to receive of communion, not only do we look to the cross, but we look to the manger because we know that it was the baby in the manger who came into this world, the incarnate Son of God, that he came into this world as humble as you could. Uh, you, you, You can't paint a better, humble picture than what God in heaven was willing to do as Jesus came to the earth, born in a cave, essentially, born in a feeding trough for animals, essentially, knowing that there was no place in the inn, that the man Christ had the opportunity to be born into a palace, to be Crowned right there in that moment, he took the most humble road and the most humble approach. And it is from that lesson that we embrace what Jesus has done for us because it was the humility, as we read from Hebrews, as he despised the embarrassment and the shame, and he took upon himself that cross on our behalf. So as we think on this during our time of communion, think on the cross, think towards the manger and ask the Holy Spirit, God, how should I wait in this season? Let's pray together.